the, the, the first question, Matthew, which, which when I was watching this, which struck me, and the, and the way you've always talked about your work, is, is what are we dealing with here in terms of art form? Opera, performance, film, uh, narrative, installation. What, what is River of Fundament? Uh, well, I think what we arrived uh, we arrived at eventually is is a, is a hybrid. I think what we started out with was a proposal to make an opera. Uh -huh. You know, we talked about um, we being Jonathan and I. We talked about making a work for the stage. Uh, we went to the Manchester Festival in 2007 and experimented a little bit on the stage there, and it started feeling a little bit. Um, not like a dead end, but, but not the, the context that I was interested in particularly. Jonathan's, I think, more comfortable in the, the context of theater and using the machinery of, the, of the, the house than I am. I really felt like I had lost the tools that I needed to, to, uh, to describe what I wanted to describe. Because you couldn't manipulate the image in the way you wanted to, you couldn't do the close-up. Yeah. You couldn't do the cutaway. Exactly, and um, you know, I'd lost the, the, the texture of the, the object, right. effectively. It had become from a fixed position, it had become an image which I wasn't comfortable with. And, um, Did anybody see this at Manchester International Festival? It was part of a, a performance art evening, all within the Proscenium March. Did anybody go and see it? Because it's quite interesting, because uh, I, I agree with you, it wasn't wholly successful. You know, the whole evening was interesting, but it wasn't wholly successful. And you could see, I could see the frustrations you were having mm -hmm. within the structure of trying to get people to concentrate on certain mm -hmm. elements. But uh, there are, it was clearly a useful exercise for you, because mm -hmm. there are elements in this film quite late on, mm -hmm. which um, are very recognizable from the, the thing you presented that night. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a testing ground for certain um, ideas. But, but from there, we uh, moved on, somewhat retreated to the, the strategy we'd used with Cremaster to, to stage things site-specifically. So that was the moment, that evening, you said, no, no, this isn't for me. You hadn't realized until that time. You set out to do an opera. You thought the proscenium march was the way to present it, sort mm -hmm. of fairly traditionally. Mm -hmm. you, you, you made this experiment, which was about, was about 15 minutes long. It was supposed to be. Yeah, it was it went, about 45 It went minutes. on a bit. <laughs> but, you know, the Chrysler was in there. It was mm -hmm. all the rest of it. Um, what was it? Other, I mean, there were other th frustrations you were having with it beyond the fact that you couldn't control what the, 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 the vision being served to the audience? Uh, well, I mean, there were certain limitations, but there are always limitations. Right. There are always limitations. It was, uh, you know, we struggled with the health and safety issues, you know, which, yeah. uh, which are different in a house than they are in a, in a automobile dealership in Los Angeles where the fire department gets involved in the effects that you're going to do. You know, right. there, there's always somebody who's going to create a limitation. So that's not new to me. But there are very specific limitations in a house. And were you disappointed at the realization that you weren't going to present an opera on stage? No, I mean, I don't think that the ambition was ever to deal with it in a, in a traditional way. I think uh -huh. it was a little bit more open-ended. It was about, you know, Jonathan and I talking about the experiences we had in the years in, in Cremaster and saying, you know, that there are certain scenes that were staged more or less like 
performance. You yeah. Know? Even though they were set up for the camera, there were, you know, they had a resonance which we felt would never translate to the screen, yeah. and I think it didn't. Yeah. You know, that there are certain things that happened on the set that were, you know, quite compelling, and uh, and so it was those moments that we started talking about, saying, you know, how do we pull that into the front? Yeah. You know, and make a project that really is based on that that dynamic. And so it was more to do with the notion of performance, the sort of broader notion of performance than it was about saying we're going to make an opera. So you know, Jonathan's a composer, so the obvious conversation to have is mm. in what way does this relate to opera? Because mm. we had already been using music to carry the narrative with the Cremaster. So I think um, you know, what we ended up doing was then developing every scene with the the question of you know how music would be integrated into the scene you know where musicality would exist and where it would overlap with what was happening visually. So, so within 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 the film, there are, 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 are several <clears throat> set pieces of performance art which happened for real in Manhattan, Detroit, and LA, I think. And uh, and you can see that they're pieces of performance art, and the cameras are incredibly well hidden. You don't see mm -hmm. see them at all. For the people who are experiencing that live, so to speak, mm -hmm. were they also getting Jonathan's music, or yes. so, so they they were getting the full experience? Yes. Yeah, and much more so than I think what you. Um, wow. Is that you? <laughs> it is. <laughs> we, Kevin Spacey has a way of dealing with people like you, yeah. Matthew. Um, <laughs> Um, <clears throat> yeah, there were, you know, there were spatial things that were happening with the music, which I would say is one of the things that, that is very special about Jonathan's approach, you know, that he really composes for space. Right. You know, he considers where instruments are placed within the scene. Like, he kind of can't start writing until he really understands what the, the space of the scene is. And, um... And that's interesting. I mean, I, I, of course, relate to that very much as a, as a sculptor. Right. And um, so, which is to say that I think there were things that were happening in those live scenes, musically and spatially, that do not translate. And I assume there's no room for a take two. No. You know, when you're moving a massive great barge down the Hudson, mm -hmm. you do it once, right? Right, yeah. I mean, particularly those scenes where there were... Um, um, that where there was a group of witnesses present, yeah. those were, I mean, they were really extraordinary in the sense that they had the scale and the complexity of the larger films we had done, but they were being carried out in real time over the course of a day. You know, it was a little bit exhausting. And I, and, and I think it, uh, exhausting in the sense that I felt like we probably couldn't sustain that as a, as a, as a strategy to complete the work. And it was, that was another turning point in the, in the project, which was that... Because it wouldn't sustain the narrative? You... No, that, um, I mean, from an energy, financial Cost, yeah. uh, uh, time standpoint, we, we couldn't stick with that plan, which was to perform every aspect of the story live. That was originally the intention. Okay. And so eventually we started uh, writing uh, sections that would be set up for the camera and the ones that we could uh, execute more economically 
and the project became more and more hybrid as that happened. But I thought, watching the they're very successful. Mm. You know, the, the, the beginning is really set within a wake for Norman Mailer in Norman Mailer's house. Mm -hmm. And it's, what is it, I guess, when you come in and out of it, it's about an hour long, is it? It's probably more than more, more. But it, it really is successful, mm -hmm. I thought, as a piece of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. You know, forget it as a, as a piece of art or a piece of opera, but as a piece mm -hmm. of filmmaking, it's really coherent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things about the performed scenes, you know, as you said, we set up uh, an array of cameras that were hidden. Yeah. And so there was a lot of coverage, but the coverage wasn't, you know, it didn't have a point of view, really. It didn't, yeah. it wasn't directed yeah. as a sort of... Uh, it was edited. Cinematic experience, you yeah. know, it was an objective view. And, um, and so there was something missing if this work were going to have cinematic presence, and it was a point of view, you know, it was, it, it, and, and, and that was, provided with these scenes, the wake scenes, the house scenes, which became the spine of the, of the piece. Yeah, the ballast, yes. in, in a way. Mm -hmm. um, we're in an opera house. Mm -hmm. You're going around the world mm -hmm. touring this piece as, as a piece of operatic theatre, I suppose, although it is a, it is a film. Mm -hmm. What is your relationship with opera, I suppose beyond your relationship with Jonathan Bepler, mm -hmm. uh, and why the fascination with that art form? Uh, I mean, there, uh, people recently especially, but not, um, not just recently. I think through my whole career of, of exhibiting publicly, I think people have always brought up this notion of the Gesamtkunstwerk and asked yeah. me about, like, yeah. you know, what is that. my relationship to that? Which I guess from, I guess this is a, to do with the, the use of the multimedia and... Uh, um, and the operatic scale, but I think, you know, for, for me, the thing that, uh, I think that that term is really misused. Does everybody I, know what a Gesamtkunstwerk is? Mm -hmm. It's an idea, it's a German word which Wagner loved, it's the idea of a total work of art. So it's um, something which in, involves uh, visual arts, uh, music, and literature. And so Wagner, I think when he when he created Beirut, um, you know, the, his opera house, that was for him a Gesamtkunstwerk, specifically when his um, operas were playing. And I think the Bauhaus was set up in a, in a similar fashion, this idea that you can make a total work of art. Right. But I think that that's the, the, the point. Uh, the point is, is that he built the house. You know, he designed he the, house, the, yeah. the, 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 the container for the, for the content. And so I don't really feel like something that works with a multimedia strategy is necessarily a, a Gesamtkunstwerk. I think, I think what he did is because he designed the container. So I, I feel like it's a term yeah. that's really misused in that way. And I think it's an antiquated term. I think it well, relate, I think relates very I much to I think it's romanticized. It's romanticized, isn't mm -hmm. it? Um, most of the audience, I, I should imagine, will be familiar with your, your previous work, particularly your previous work with Jonathan, i.e. the Creamister Cycle. What did you two want to take on here that you hadn't taken on before? Um, beyond the Chrysler, mm -hmm. what, how does it connect back to what you've previously done? Mm -hmm. Well, the, uh, the text, Ancient Evenings, by, yeah, Norman Mailer, by yeah. Norman Mailer, uh, became the, the libretto, or became our kind of working text. But uh, 
before that, I, you know, I, I uh, received a call from Mailer, and he said, you know, you should really consider this book, and um, and you should consider ad adapting it for the screen. And I said, that's not what. Why? Um, I suspect because, you know, we, he and I had worked together right. on on Cree Master Two. After that, we made number three, and. He saw that, and we never really had a chance to talk about it. And we talked about it that night. And I think he was much more interested in that than the one that we worked on together, in fact. And, and I feel like one of the reasons why is because the first bit of Ancient Evenings reads just like the beginning of Cree Master 3. Yeah. For me, it does. That, it, that there's this kind of first-person perspective of coming into a space, not knowing where you are, not knowing what's happening to you, and then slowly um, through these relationships that come forward, the, the, the narrative develops and the, the space becomes more articulated. And so had you, had you read it? No, I'd never even heard has, of it. Has anybody read Ancient Evenings by Norman Mailer here? Two people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a tough read. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I started reading it, and I felt that way. I felt like, wow, I've already done this. You know, not only because it sort of has a similar flow in the beginning, anyway. There's an element of grotesque about it as well, isn't there? Yeah, and there's also the, you know, there's this very direct use of Egyptian mythology, which is a little bit confounding. So, you know, how can you deal with that without falling into cliche, right. really? But. Um, but I felt like with, with Cree Master 3, which deals with the Masonic uh, narrative, that I had already dealt with Egyptian mythology a couple steps removed in the way that I would do it. And so I was nervous about it. But eventually... Uh, did you like him? Did you, did you like Mailer? I do. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always appreciated his... Uh, um, I mean, I, I actually appreciated his vulgarity in the sense that I, f I always felt like he was willing to put his foot in his mouth willfully, that he was willing to fail, basically. He was willing to sort of say something irreprehensible to provoke space, you know, to open up the space for something else. Because, but I think also because he was willing to have a fight. Mm -hmm. you know, he liked to fight. He liked right. conflict. Yeah, exactly. He was about conflict. I mean, that's what... I think has made him such a useful character for me is that he sort of embodies conflict. Mm. And um, so that if I think about these characters, whether they're invented or um, taken from culture um, abstractly, you know, he sort of abstractly embodies this sort of sense of conflict, which is very useful for me. And so you initially thought, no, you've done this before, you've explored this territory, mm -hmm. but you've you, you changed your mind. Was that because Jonathan Bepler said, you know what, I can really get my hands on this and we could do something? Or, Actually, or what he, the... yeah, he had a real hard time with it, more, more so than I did. I think, uh, and, and Jonathan really brought the, the Walt Whitman texts in right. and the Emerson texts. Like, he really was kind of craving a different kind of language to use lyrically. His mm -hmm. Mailer is so kind of linear and... Uh, so the sort of cyclical nature of Whitman's um, language, you know, both brought something to the table for Jonathan, but it also started to, for me, set up a way of, of going 
head-to-head um, -head with, with Mailer in a different way, like to set up a kind of um, opposing voice to his, which felt good. And um, are, you, are you punchy, Matthew? Do you like a fight? Uh, are you aggressive? I like a slow, calm fight. <laughs> <laughs> Did you fight with Mailer? No. Do you fight with Bepler at all? In a way. How does that work? Um, it's, it's sort of slow and indirect. <laughs> Does it ever get physical? No. No. No, I can't imagine that. Um, so what did you two want to take on here that you, had, you felt was sort of unfinished business with Cremester? Well, I, I talked about this, this idea of, of bringing forward these... Um, the performance pieces. Yeah, these larger scenes that were effectively performance... Um, related, but were unseen by people other than the, um, the crew. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> and I think the, the way forward for me was to do with, you know, wanting to set up a different relationship between the artificial and the real. I okay. Think. And, um, you know, that the Master re relied so much on the artificial. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I felt like by the time I had finished that and Drawing Restraint 9, that, that that experiment was finished. That I was happy with it, but I did not need to do that again. And, um, and so I think the work that was made between uh, Drawing Restraint 9 and, and this work, which included that sketch in Manchester right. and, and a project in Brazil, which we staged at, uh, during Carnival, you know, these were kind of sloppy attempts of, of, Experiments. In, of experimenting with the real, you know, in a way that we hadn't before or I hadn't before. And um, I think what's, what's uh, most satisfying for me, like beyond the, the film, is that it's led me into different terrain with the sculpture. And, um, and uh, which is to say that a lot of the work that's come out of this new project is, is really of a different nature. It has a different relationship to the tradition of sculpture making, the range of materials and processes it uses um, are very different. So within, within is, is the film in your mind a form of sculpture or not? Well, it's an aspect of my sculpture making. You know, I think it's the beginning of a process of reduction that starts with narrative yeah. and ends with sculpture with narrative sculpture. So I think, you know, it's, it's something that I need. Like, I need to start with a text, and uh, I need to start with a story. And, um, you know, these stories are complicated I, I, and, and, and long and, um, and autonomous on some level as, as works themselves, but they are part of the system. But I guess the, I suppose, almost a primary concern for, for any sculptor is an issue of scale mm -hmm. and how it, you know, how it corresponds to the human being, I guess, on, on the whole. And therefore, is that a consideration when you're making these films that really the only way you can deal with scale is, I suppose, the size of the screen it's shown in, but the one the bit of control you've really got is the duration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you say more about that? Well, is, there, is, is the duration the way you're dealing with scale within the concept, within the confines of filmmaking? Hmm. I don't think so. I mean, I think that there, of course, there are conscious choices, you know, 
for example, I think we always knew that whatever this thing would end up being physically, it was evening length. It wasn't feature length. Right. It was something that would... Or afternoon length, as the case may be. <laughs> that yeah. it would, you know, it would have, uh, you know, it would break that form that we were using before, which right. was effectively feature length. And um, on because? the... Um, I think because we we knew that this the, that the arc of the narrative was was great uh -huh. and that um, great as in epic yeah, monumental mm -hmm, yeah monumental and that um, you know given the text and that we um, you know were interested in taking what we had done in, in Cremaster somewhere else and I think you know Cremaster did deal with film genres, you know, right. like it did, it did pass in and out of different genres of cinema and um, it was presented in art house cinemas. So there was a conscious attempt with this piece to change that and to, um, and duration was one of those, not, mm. the, not the only thing, but it was one of those things. Um, but on the other hand, I really feel like these things are animals, you know, they're, they have their own needs and they, you can, start to speculate on what the duration of Act Two is going to be, but it's really hard to, to pr predict because it sort of calls its own shots at right. a certain point. Tell me, how does, how does the, the music and, and, and I suppose to, to a certain extent the collaboration with Bepler inform the work? How, do, how, does, how, what, what, how does that develop in terms of process? Mm -hmm. uh, well, in the writing, I would say that I tend to lead off, and then... So you, 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 so you'll give Jonathan something of a, an outline script, or...? Well, no, not in this case, no, not a complete script. I would say that it, it's, it's, it's a conversation all the way uh -huh. through, but um, I would say that I lead off, just in terms of getting it started. And then we um, talk through every... Um, you know, if there's some kind of an outline that's in place of, of, of even if it's only a couple of scenes, we sort of talk through how those scenes, the choices we could make within those scenes. And, um, and then there are certain um, ideas that he would bring to the table that become scenes um, where the music really leads mm. um, the way, like the assembly line of those metal instruments, for example. Um, you know, that was definitely Jonathan's scene. And, um, so you respond to that? Sure, okay. yeah. You know, I, I become almost like an art director in a situation like that. Like, how, how are we going to make those instruments? Yeah. And, you know, what, what are they going to look like? Yeah. And, um, uh, so it goes back and forth, you know. And, and, and that's, that is different from what we've done in the past, you know, where the, the writing was much more complete before um, he you know, really sinks his teeth into it, with the exception of certain scenes where the music is really on screen. It's, it, the, the making of the music is on screen. Can you imagine doing a work with Jonathan which flips it completely the other way, which means you are completely responding to a score? Uh, probably not. I mean, not because, uh, I don't, I mean, I think our collaboration is really quite um, sympathetic. Mm. You know, I think that what he needs he gets, he gets, and what I need, I get. You know, I think, um, I don't think the balance could be thrown off that far. I don't think it would work. No. And what about um, 
the issue of, of casting. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in, in this film, you've got Mailer's son, um, you've got Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Elaine Stritch, and then all sorts of other people who we haven't heard of. Mm -hmm. how, do you, what, how do you go about deciding who's going to play what part? Or, or do you, or do you give that to a casting director? Uh, yeah, we did, uh, we did work with a casting director, but I think only one character was cast through that person. So, Which one? Um, Uzer Mare. Ah. Yeah. Uh, so was it a matter of calling up mates, people you like? Well, no, it was a lot of, um, I mean, there were casting calls. You know, we, we called agencies for, okay. for certain. So you went through all that process? For certain characters. With other characters, you know, there are a lot of specialists in this film. Right. right? There are, um, you know, there are, there are the cameos, right? The, yeah. Like people who are effectively playing themselves. Um, there are um, certain dramatic actors who we chose by um, sort of thinking about the context of the wake thinking mm. about, okay, you know, these are the people who, you know, we want certain people to be in the room who were yeah. associates of Mailer yeah. and, uh, and who knew him and could speak about their relationship to him. Um, and then we needed other roles to be performed where we wanted to work with somebody who could do a good job with it, but who could feel like they belonged to that sort of broader, well, to that world that, that Mailer created, which was really... Um, special, I think, you know, in terms of his relationship to literature, to journalism, to celebrity, Absolutely. to politics, to athletics. Like, it's, it's you know, you, you'd go to Mailer's house and it was a really crazy variety and how, of how people. How true is the reconstruction you've made? Of it's very, very accurate, okay. yeah. I mean, that's, for example, that's his library. Those are oh, all his, his, library, his yeah. books and many of the objects in the room are, were in his house. So um, that was important to me along the lines of this sort of relationship between the artificial and the real. I wanted that to be as accurate as possible. And casting Mailer's son? I mean, that felt similar to me the, to casting Mailer as Houdini in Cremaster 2. Like, it felt like, huh. um, you know, that there would be this sort of constellation of fathers, you know. Connections. That, yeah, that, run through, that runs through the story between the pharaoh and the nobleman, you know, yeah. between Mailer and Hemingway, between myself and Mailer, between um, uh, the, the three Normans as they progress in age. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ground that in the real somehow. And, and so by bringing John Mailer into it, I was trying to do that. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, I, I suppose, a question on just the, the duration of your creative process. Did this, this is a film 10 years in the making, eight years in the making? Uh, seven. Seven years in the making, mm -hmm. which is quite a long time, I, su mm -hmm. I suppose, but which is slightly irrelevant. It doesn't really matter how long it takes. What's interesting is, is what happens during that process. Right. I mean, you've already explained to us already that you know, there's two or three blind alleys you went down in, in, yeah. in effect. But during that process, how much do your ideas actually change? And, and is it a bit like, you know, novelists always say they, they never finish a book, they just abandon it. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you, do you ever feel that's the film finished? Or do you always feel there are other ideas you want to explore that you didn't have time to? Mm. I mean, I think from an editing standpoint, especially something with this duration, I think you, mm. could, you could continue editing forever. 
um, or take a very different approach. Um, so on that level, yeah, I feel like at a certain point we just had to stop yeah. cutting. Yeah. And, um, and do, during those seven years, did your ideas change about what you wanted to create? Because you must have changed as a human being in that, in that time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, you know, I spoke about a couple of the major changes that happened. Um, but other influences which might have come into your life, which thought, you know, I want to incorporate that in, I hadn't thought about that before, shows you might have seen, people you might have met, places you might have gone to. Sure, I mean, for starters, when we started writing in the very beginning, Mailer was alive. Right. Then he died, you yeah. know? And that really changed things. Totally. Like it brought him into the, into the narrative in a different way. But he gave, it, he gave you this scene, this fantastic scene on which to set everything up on. Mm. And it plays perfectly to ancient evenings, you know. Mm. You, you can bring him back to life, right? Yeah. I learned quite recently, I don't know if this is true, that, that Mailer had talked about making a sequel, writing a sequel to Ancient Evenings where he was the protagonist. Okay. Which didn't surprise me, but... No. <laughs> what is it about characters like Houdini, like Mailer, that you find so attractive or at least so inspiring that you want to spend so much of your life exploring them? Um, I mean, I guess that there's a, you know, this, this thing about them being uh, abstractable, you know, that they're, um, you know, that they have such a strong um, kind of essential character to them that they can be both representational and they can be abstract. And, um, and that I want both of those things out of you know, many of the elements in the work. You know, I want it to exist in both realms. And, um, Are there other characters which exist today that you feel similarly about that you might at some stage want to work on? Can I cite another person that's, yeah. that's like that? Oh, hmm. Hmm. I mean, I guess not because I, I mean, I don't even know what I'm doing next. You know, I, I don't really work. You out, really don't know. This is this head. is complete. You're going around the world with this, and you don't actually know what you're. I don't know. I mean, I'm making when... I'm making some new sculpture right now, and uh, it it relates in a a more uh, kind of distant way to this this narrative. But, but there'll be more films. Probably. Harold Pinter used to say when he, when he, when he was writing a play, mm -hmm. it always started with just one image, mm -hmm. one image in, in his mind. And then he would, he would write around that image till he ended up with a play. And that, that image wasn't necessarily the beginning or the middle or the end mm -hmm. of the play. It was just an image. And that was the thing which fired him off. Mm. What tends to be the thing, the spark for you? I mean, I can relate to that. I think I, I, feel, I feel like I have built a workout that in that way. I don't think that happened with this one, though. I mean, partially because of the collaborative nature of it and, uh, and because of the existence of this text. Like, I've never really dealt with a text in the way that I have in this piece. So, um, so the process was more linear than, than I, I would usually use. What is it, Matthew, about bodily functions mm -hmm. that interests you so much mm -hmm. that... That's, that um, that you, you, you make sort of, um, sort of great visual treats of them. And they're not, I don't even find them particularly shocking because you've really thought about it. You're not, it doesn't strike me you're trying to shock anybody. But mm -hmm. you, you, it's, it, almost, actually, rather oddly, as if there's a beauty you're trying to find mm -hmm. in 
I don't know, shit or piss or whatever it might be. But there, what is it about something so base, something so natural mm -hmm. that attracts you? Mm -hmm. I think there are a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it has to do with, in a way, with infrastructure. I think it's about the way I interact with architecture, you know, the way that I set up an exhibition and the thing that really preoccupies me is the door between two spaces, you know what I'm saying? That, that that's the, the, that's where... Because that's the flow? Well, because that's where the relationship is made between the two spaces and between right. the object in that room and the object in this room. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the relationships rather than the autonomous thing. And, um, and so these passageways, these doors and... Uh, uh, the oculus and the uh, the hallway. These are the, the things that start to become uh, the most important thing. And uh, <clears throat> and so the channels. The channels. And so you know, there's a way in which I want the the space to function like a body, and um, okay. and for the. Uh, for the viewer to pass through, you know, the the channels of the body, and and for um, and so for the scale to be elusive, I think, in a way, the bottom line is scale, in 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 the sense of uh, you know wanting the, the scale to be malleable, mm -hmm. and um, and in the way that that sculpture, in my mind, displaces the human figure um, on some fundamental level. Um, you know, I sort of want to overcome the scale of the human being, in, in a sense, in that displacement. Mm. So, um, it's a complicated answer, isn't it? It's Quite. Just, yeah. It's just that, um, you know, I think, I think that my relationship to the body is something like that, that, it's, that it isn't a direct representational thing. It's sort of more about wanting to you know, wanting the landscape to be a body, wanting the yeah. Chrysler building to be a body, wanting the Isle of Man to be a body, and, you know, body in a sense of, like, being an organic, organic um, entity that... Um, like the Earth is. Yeah, through which this narrative can pass. And so I think that the... that the... Mm. let's say the processes of the body, you know, are an expression of that interest, really you know, of the sort of output of some passageway through the body, you know, that is cleared so that something else can pass through. Yeah, I like the idea of the passages being the most interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm afraid we have to bring up this conversation to an end, Matthew. Very brief. Thank mm -hmm. you very much. Mm -hmm. Incredibly interesting, actually. Mm -hmm.